Hi, this is the Scrigler podcast. I'm Dimitri Selomir. And I'm Francesca Baker. This is the very first episode. This is our pilot. Uh, we're going to introduce wonderful writers and poets to you. Um, yeah, I think it, well, it's just like, it's an extension, isn't it, of what... So we started Scrigler with kind of publishing poems and stories, and then we extend into live events, and then some workshops, kind of writing those poems and stories. And now we're coming at it kind of from the audio angle. So it's really just... It's almost like 360 sharing of words. I suppose the idea is ultimately with Scrigler Life, when we started introducing the live platform where people come out and, and show off what they've written uh, to, the, to the live audience and get the feedback straight there, we, we wanted to make sure that, you know, this is not only available to the London audience because we're mm -hmm. here, but we wanted to make it available to people all over the world. Yeah, because Scoogler is you know, a global platform. You've got there's lots of people from all around the world, as you say. Well, certainly in terms of publications, we had there's some really good publications coming from India, from Indonesia, from Singapore, from obviously the States and from Britain and continental Europe. So the geography that is present we at some point i think we counted something like 140 countries present in terms of the wow. <laughs> memberships uh and, and and the the visitors so it, it's pretty well represented even though the you know the platform is quite young it's the idea is to try and collect them all in one place give them the voice on the same platform uh in the audio formats as well and give them another way of reaching the audience because i think one of the kind of really positive pieces of feedback i had from squiggler live was how people suddenly became aware of the difference between sort of, for example, poetry and performance poetry, how it's a really different experience listening to someone or seeing someone perform something. So obviously all these texts are available on Squiggler, but it can be really nice, I think, to hear the poet say it in their own words and with the different intonation and the way of saying things can really make a difference. I think it's particularly useful for people who are only being introduced to poetry, mm. not necessarily uh, very experienced, because sometimes reading it on the on the page, it takes some knowledge of poetry and some yeah. kind of understanding of it to it be able be to uh, to imagine it. how how it needs to to sound and and the dynamics of it, kind of yeah. where, what what word needs to be accented. Uh, and yeah, definitely. So I think it helps, and and once kind of you discover that whole scene of open mics and poetry slams, and discover this big world out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's people. a very exciting and dynamic world as well. Like, you know, I still have this kind of stereotype in my head of poetry being kind of quite staid and like librarian like. And actually, you said that yeah, poetry slams and all these exciting things going on. All right, we're actually going to uh, start with uh, with poetry. Believe it or not, there'll be uh, stories in this podcast as well. The first poet is uh, Bill Yarrow. He uh, lives in Chicago. He's done some really interesting things, and in fact, some of the stuff that he did will be useful for people kind of to understand in terms of what they can do with their material and how they can go about presenting it and showcasing it and and how how to reach the audience. So one of the interesting things that Bill does is he teamed up with a musician, uh, his name is Ray Farner, and they have a YouTube channel and they also share it on uh, SoundCloud as, uh, as audio files. They basically share his poetry uh, along with music and some really interesting imagery that they use in a kind of video format. And, uh, so they have this video channel where um, you can have this extra dimension mm -hmm. added to uh, to the to the whole sort of poetic and and audio experience. Um, like synesthesia is that synesthesia? You know, you get a mixture of sen senses being used and stuff. I'll, yes. I'll take your word yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's really cool as well because it's kind of quite 
like different meanings can be taken. Like, I wonder if you if you read the text and then you listen to the words and then you like open your eyes and see the video. It would almost be like three different poems or kind of the, the evolution, I suppose, of how you would interpret that. It could be very, very different depending on which format you use. Well, certainly when you kind of watch it over and over again, I think you will be discovering, depending on what you concentrate mm. more on, the music or the, the words or the, the, or the, the imagery, yeah. you certainly start discovering new things at every every time so it's it's a pretty cool way of doing it but it's not only that it's also the fact that you appeal to different type of audience and you combine those experiences yeah. you bring people with different backgrounds uh, and different ways of perceiving information and you kind of help them discover uh, what otherwise would have been left out completely i think it's an awesome way of reaching new people as well because you know if we're to be to be believed young people aren't in libraries mm -hmm. they're hanging out on youtube and it's a great way to meet people who you might not ordinarily have access to or might not ordinarily be looking for poetry necessarily. Yep. Well, actually, we should mention yeah. first that uh, Bill has uh, a few books out. In fact, some of the poems uh, that you'll be able to find on Scrigler have appeared in the uh, Lives of Christ and Pointed Sentences. You can find them on Amazon. And the most recent book uh, Bill published only uh, a few weeks ago, and it's called The Blasphemer. And um, I'll definitely recommend going and checking it out on, uh, on Amazon. So what we have today is a poem called Bees in the Eaves. And uh, we'll turn it over to Bill. Bees in the Eaves. We write in darkness. We love in alleys. We breathe into beige paper bags, anything to mollify the confusion, anything to simplify the math. I am beset even by rest, and when I close my eyes, the world is still macaronic. I feel for the wolf about to be trapped in the landfill. I feel for the crab about to scamper from the net. I feel for humanity when the brightness of sick knowledge falls from exorbitant air. But remedies abound. There's a remedy for everything and a remedy for every remedy. So that was Bill Yarrow and his poem Bees and Eaves. Um, and as Dimitri said, there's lots of books available on Amazon, so go and investigate some of those. Yeah, I quite like that poem. It's a nice, short, kind of pointed poem, I think, with like, a good mixture of things going on in it. It's interesting you use the word pointed, that it's kind of almost the uh, throwback to his, uh, one oh, of the yeah, books, actually, <laughs> the pointed yeah. sentences. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I had that where it was kind of subliminal, and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's what he's doing. Yeah, something, that's, something came out of there. Um, all right, so the next thing we're going to do is um, we're actually going to use a story by Tony Hall. She is uh, one of the very first Scrigglers. She was one of the very first authors to uh, to join. And uh, cool kids back in the day. Exactly. And she was uh, also the winner of our inaugural competition with uh, a very, very funny story about Jesus's nipple. I will say no more. Because <laughs> um, she's got quite a kind of comedic, irreverent style going on, hasn't she? That's right, yes. Uh, she's very funny. Uh, she does some uh, stand-up comedy, I understand, uh, uh, back in LA. So I think the the story that, that we have is one that's taken from the stand-up kind of routine that she does. Okay, cool. Um, I'm not entirely sure, so forgive me if I'm wrong about this one. <laughs> it's all about the advantages of kind of being 
undersized, isn't it? Exactly. It's really so it's called short. Yes, we'll turn it over to Tony. Randy Newman once wrote, short people got no reason to live. Wow. Genius. I mean, is Randy Newman fucking 6'3"? I don't think so. Personally, I think if I were taller than five feet, I would have no excuse for anything. Sorry, person behind me on Sepulveda. I can't use the sun visor that people who are normal height can use. I have to sit on top of the wheel while the sun shines in my face so that that visor can be half as effective. And while I do that, I have to drive like a grandma because I'm still half-blinded. Oh, I'm sorry, roommate, that I did not put away all of the dishes. You see, they all belong on shelves that I cannot reach. I don't feel comfortable standing on your grandmother's antique dining room chair, so you'll have to put all of those up by yourself. Yep, uh-huh. Sorry about that. Oh my god, I can't be the designated driver tonight. See, I'm a very tiny person and one beer, and I really need that one beer, will make me so drunk. I don't want to get a DUI. That shit stays with you forever. And you might kill someone. I'm sorry, but I'm going to be late for work. My roommate's parked behind me, and her spare set of keys are on the top shelf in her closet, and while well, she spent the night at her boyfriend's. So yeah, I may have to work from home today. Oh yeah, sorry I'm not wearing Bubba Gump shrimp regulated pants. Yeah, they don't make those for my pint-sized legs, and I don't want to trip. I hope these Old Navy short black jeans that were half the price of the pants you insisted we buy are okay. Otherwise... That might be discrimination against the Danny DeVito size population. Hey Joe, yeah, sorry I never called you back, but I was thinking that this isn't going to work out. You're 6'9", and how would we hold hands? And I'd have to bring a step stool everywhere I go to kiss you. And sex is awkward. No, it's not your small penis, it's my small stature. Sorry, it's easier for me to hold the umbrella because I'm short, and it would be so awkward for you to hold it. Oh yeah, I think I have a towel in my car you can use. I'm sorry that I'm not wearing any makeup, even though I'm the guest speaker at this HR conference. The hotel mirrors are too high. I can only see my forehead. I'm so very sorry, but I can't help cook. The countertops are too tall for me to cut properly. I've already lost a piece of thumb this week. Sorry I can't drive your drunk ass home in your Chevy. I can't reach the pedals. Chevys are for tall Americans, the ones over at least 5'2". I can only drive little Japanese cars. Those are made for miniature people, like me. I totally can't go shopping with you on Saturday. No, it isn't because I blew all of my money on booze over the weekend. It's because the stores you go to don't have petite sections. Hey there, cute guy in the supermarket. I'm so sorry to bother you. I can't seem to reach the quinoa that's on the top shelf. Um, can you get that down for me? Oh, and can you come with me to aisle five? They put Playtex Sport on the top shelf. Ha <laughs> just kidding. I'm short. Therefore, I'm awkward. Short people have the best excuses in the world, Randy. And that's all the reason to live. So I was really surprised when I first read that because I, th I feel it reads more like factual. Um, rather than a story, and I wasn't too sure if it was more of kind of a comment rather than a specific short story. But I think it's a really social like statement. It, it's yes, a social statement it. about the yeah. people with the uh, with, with the short stature. Yeah. Or as um, I'm always moaning at my dad, like, I've got short jeans. It's not fair. 
<laughs> well, you can always turn turn it to your advantage. Mm, as, actually, has yeah. yeah. Well exactly. illustrated. Um, I was reading actually like in the Independent. Um, I think it was last year they were writing about how short stories are kind of massively back in fashion. Um, people aren't reading novels anymore. It's like I thought it was kind of interesting because I guess it did have a big like, kind of phase, especially around like thirties and stuff. And now I wonder if it's I don't know a symptom of kind of our Twitter generation and our. Well, oh, certainly people, people talk about it and yeah, the short attention span is, is brought forward constantly and it's it's the way people read as well, they use different devices, mm. it's no longer the yeah, sort of printed book, page, yeah, although stuff, it's yeah. a big argument, is that, you know, what's bigger, people people still read on paper or kind of e-readers are completely yeah. take, taking over. I think in, in sort of in the metropolis environment like London or any large city in New York, yeah. you know, just the realities of everyday life mean that yeah, majority of people will probably... Uh, and elbows. If you have to, when you try and read a book on the tube and you're just like, you elbows in people's ears. And it's the worst when you have um, like a businessman trying to read one of the big board sheets. I'm like, you're having a laugh. Like it just takes up at least seven people could be in that space. Um, so yeah, I agree that it's probably convenience for kind of reading on your phone or kind of short term, short journeys and stuff. That's so essentially like that. book needs to be operated by a thumb. Because that's the only thing that you, yeah, you have exactly, at your disposal. Yeah. <laughs> and did you, I think it was a few years ago, they had a Twitter literary fest in New York, which was just purely poems and stuff written. Well, there's, there's, the host, there's the whole, um, I think, there's a website that, you know, helps you create stories out of Twitter feeds, essentially. Ah, yeah. I think Storyfy, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really buy this personally. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I suppose uh, with all the things uh, um, I actually somehow ended up still being fairly un kind of old-fashioned when it comes to this thing so and for a long time I, I was a Twitter holdout I really didn't like it and uh, I, I think I sort of managed to succeed with it to a certain extent yeah. recently partly because I took it very very th cynically uh, so, I'm sort of, so you kind of contest and kick it and make sure what works really does work for you. It's sort of I don't really see it as a as a proper tool for communication. I, mm. I know that there are certain rules that you have to abide by in order to get what you want out That's of right. it, and then that communication does happen, but it's almost a side effect of what goes on. Yeah. But it's worth doing for the sake of that little side effect. So there's this you know five six percent of useful interactions. And then the rest of it is your mechanical sort of maintenance of, of this kind of algorithm that you're running. Yeah. Uh, going. And you're doing it for that 5%, and sometimes it's probably less than 5%, but, you know, that's what makes it worth it. And I think the thing is, Twitter obviously can be an excellent tool for authors, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to publish your stories on there. It's more a tool to promote your stories. No, exactly. Right. It's 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 a way of hawking people and saying, "Hey, I'm here. Yeah, come and have a look and uh, you know at what I do." And more often than not, they they won't. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know that useful two, three, yeah, four, five percent is is why you're doing it. You know this this is why you're there, and it makes it worth it. So we are definitely having experienced that and having gone through the pains of the early sort of figuring out of what this is all about. Now I, I will definitely recommend it to anyone. You have to do it as part of your um, kind of promotion promotional strategy. drive. Yeah, promotional strategy. And I guess that's one of the real benefits for authors publishing their work on Squiggler is that you've already done that hard work and the rubbish bit. So, you know, the Squiggler will promote your stories and you get that out there. Um, 
and they haven't had to do so much of the hard work. Well, it, it's sort of the idea is, I mean, ultimately, Scribbler, the way I see it, is first and foremost is a community, mm -hmm. and you know, community is there to support to help, you know, and support each other. And in a way, we've created this collective cloud, uh, and it's not just my doing going there and, and doing what I do on a, on a sort of social media every day to support and promote it. Yeah. But it's also the actions of every single in writer and contributor uh, to, to to the platform, and collectively, we actually increase each other's influence on the net significantly. Mm -hmm. I'm quite happy to to go and share that cloud with all of our members uh, because it belongs to them ultimately. Yeah. It's, it's not mine, uh, you know. To, to have a say on. So we're going to bring it back to poetry again for, for the next one. The next poet is uh, one of my favorite ones on Scribbler. Uh, actually, along with Bill You have lots of favorites. I, I have lots of favorites, so I shouldn't really be uh, saying it that way. But you do uh, read, sorry, so you do read every every submission, don't you? Or I know you did in the early days. I still do, actually. Uh, I, I'm, I'm starting to fall behind. It's becoming more and more challenging. But that's a commitment. I that's awesome. Uh, and that really does show that you kind of believe in what you're doing. That's uh, well, I enjoy reading. Enjoy um, so I obviously don't enjoy all of them, but I think it's a very high percentage. I'm, I'm to this day, I'm still very surprised by the overall quality of the submission that comes out. And I think it gives me a sort of, um, it, it's been a very useful experience for me. I've learned a lot through it because uh, now looking at uh, different types of writing, different approaches to writing, and, and I sort of get a, a um, I think at least I'm starting to get a pretty good idea of where people go wrong when they do go wrong mm -hmm. and when they succeed, what you know what works what yeah. helps them get there what is it that really makes it tick so i think from that perspective Magical. it's yeah exactly i i wouldn't be quite in a position to formulate it i don't think anyone can but i think it became a lot easier for me to sort of distinguish when i read this large volume kind of submission so I very quickly can can say oh this is really good this is you know yeah. It's it's not it's no longer just based on my sort of gut That's feeling. Uh, it, yeah. It's it's I sort of get to appreciate their style and the the use of language and the different sort of tricks of the trade that yeah, they kind of put in. Uh, yeah, exactly. So this is Don Baldwin with not one drop of rain. If I were but only lonesome, I could call on a friend, walk on the beach eat pancakes and draw happy faces with syrup and butter, or visit a shop and buy myself something simple but special. If I were but simply sad, I would draw sunflowers and sing show tunes, pour hot fudge over ice cream, and tease my dog as we played tug-of-war with your old shirt. And Mutt and I would watch the neighbors from the shade of our porch melting into the dusk and it would all fade away like the passing of time and I would be fine. But a chill in the air has me shivering now. I left too many windows open with wind from every direction snatching the blinds and clattering them like bones. Shadows and darkness gather. Forks of lightning reflect in my eyes as I hold my breath and count the seconds till the thunder. The tempest moan rises, pitching the boughs too abruptly for bending. They snap, and we fall. But this storm goes around instead of over, 
without a drop of rain, without a reason. And soon all is as if it never had been. Now I stand by the windows and pull them slowly closed, turn toward the empty room and walk to my mirror. Oh, if I were merely mental, I would take a pill, speak gibberish to my reflection, and pace the hallway like a Hollywood starlet, wringing her hands in a dramatic squeeze, fist clenched in the throes of an unfaithful lover. I would cut off my hair, wear my clothes wrong side out, and feel sadistically smug when I caught people gawking. And when the pus was gone, I would heal and be normal, as if sanity never parted. But if I were even remotely remorseful, I would take all the blame for the thunder, water your plants like I promised, and pay for the broken glasses, the shattered dishes, and all your dead fishes gasping among the shards of jagged glass and jade green gravel strewn about our bed where you held him tighter than you ever did me, and then just walked away as if we never happened. Yes, see, if I were truly tempted to tell you, I'd spatter your face with my moments, the humiliation and searing shame, boil up thunderheads, call on the cold, cold wind to rise, shred you to ribbons, and whisk you from my sight. But it would all still be in shambles. Remnants and torn bits, sharp shards of glass scattered like I imagined your brains when the pain ripping through my chest cried out for you to hurt too. But you smiled like you loved it. And I swear, I heard you laughing. Your stench still clings to my pillow in my empty room, in my empty bed. I close my eyes and count the seconds till the thunder. And still, not one drop of rain. So that poem was, I think, taken from his poetry book, Orpheus is Bleeding? Yes. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, things that uh, I should have mentioned about Dawn is, apart from his uh, kind of very, very serious poetry, the, the one that's uh, kind of... Yeah, sort of the, the, this is the example. In, yeah. uh, uh, he's also done some um, children's poetry, and uh, he's done the Imogen Hurley series uh, uh, about uh, a little girl who's uh, quite boisterous and uh, gets into trouble a mm. lot and kind of goes discovering and experimenting and testing boundaries all the time, uh, as kids do. Um, uh, and it's uh, worth taking a look. So both the um, uh, Imogen Hurley series and the uh, Office is bleeding. These books are available on Amazon. You can find them there as ebooks. He's a writer for the whole family to enjoy, and I think he does the illustrations as well, doesn't he? Uh, he does indeed, and he he he's. And uh, oh yes, uh, we we shouldn't mention that. So uh, that's an interesting project that uh, Dawn launched very recently. It's a series of blog posts 
about um, the whole homelessness kind of phenomenon in the U.S., especially in the recent years, the attitudes to it, the uh, sort of the plight of the young people who end up in a very desperate situation. And uh, I think the focus of it is really the misconceptions that a lot of people have towards homelessness and, and misinterpretation of how they get there, the reasons why uh, it, it, it's happening, and the ways of helping them out of that situation as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's really good how he's obviously kind of making kind of social and personal comments through his poetry, but then also through quite quite clear journalism. Um, it's just different ways, of, I suppose, of raising awareness of issues. Well, it's kind of personal stories ultimately mm. that he he cites there as well, and you know his own personal experience that he draws upon. Yeah, it's a storyteller in kind of every fashion of the word, I guess. Exactly. So that's available on Scrigley itself, and you can find it uh, on his personal blog. So he created a website dedicated to it, I believe. Although, if you're going to Google, make sure you put a J in. If you just so it's Don J Baldwin, because if you search for Don Baldwin, you'll find an American pair skater or a karate insurance broker, neither of which are our Don Baldwin. I think the easiest thing will actually be to <laughs> go, go to Scribbler exactly, and uh, find Don there and uh, have a look at his profile. There's a lot of poetry that he, uh, he's published there and uh, there'll be links to, uh, to his other projects there as well, so you'll be able to find him. So the final story, actually, we, we're coming to the final story for today. It's written by a young writer who's doing uh, a lot of uh, short stories, entering various competitions. He's a doctor by, by education. Doctor by day and writer by Do night. Exactly. Um, so his name is Omar Al-Kayed. He's from London. And when he first published this story, this was actually the first story he published in Scrigler, I believe. I was mesmerized. Um, and... Um, judging from the comments, I wasn't uh, I wasn't well, alone, no, no. and it's 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 quite different to what we've had before. I think um, steampunk as a as a as a sort of the whole genre and and fashion or kind of that that whole movement culture, I should say, right? It wasn't really represented on Scrigler before this story, and I. You know, I think it will be safe to say that I, I, I'd like to see more of those. Yeah. They're, they're, they're actually quite nice and very sort of romantic and... Uh, uh, edgy still with it, I think. I, think that's kind of the... I mean, they're, they're very unique in their style, yes, certainly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're quite different. Um, so this story, it's called Balloon Bill. It's, um, it's as you, you may have guessed, it's a romantic story. Uh, it's a love story about an engineer and uh, and balloons are certainly involved. <laughs> <laughs> Hot ones, full of air. So have a listen. It's uh, it's wonderfully presented. It is really beautifully, doesn't it? Um, so before we let Omar read his story to you, um, just want to say thank you for listening. Wait. I hope you've enjoyed the first edition of the Scribbler podcast. We're going to try and do this fairly regularly depending on how schedules allow. I think the main thing is we've got plenty of great stories and poetry uh, that uh, our authors have submitted to us already. We've enjoyed listening to them. I think you will too and we certainly would encourage you to have a look at the website, have a look at their profiles if you enjoyed listening to, to what you've heard today. We'd also encourage you to participate in discussions, comment, uh, share your own stories and poetry. We're a friendly bunch so we'll, we'll kind of support you and uh, if we can say something nice about it we, we will uh, and we can offer some criticism as if that's what you're after and um, 
will encourage you as well to to send us the audio recordings and in fact we'll be uh, running a, a group on soundcloud where you know if you set up your own profile on soundcloud and put your recordings there you can submit your uh, recordings into that group and we'll collect them all together and we'll have this one big uh, additional sort of collection of recordings of various authors and poets so there we go the next thing is that you're going to hear is balloon bill uh, and it's by omar al-qaid and he a uh, bill no more ordinary, no less extraordinary than any other to have wielded such a usual name, having done unusual things. A bill by any other name would have no less electrified the brain. A bill who, not to match his billing, would outdo his peers of the Institute of Mechanical Affairs by building the first flying machine to not require any more energy than that contained the beating wings of a fruit fly. This bill would be bamboozled and embroiled by a bonnie in a balloon who would remind him that a bill remains a bill, and that the world that flies is made for birds and beautiful things. Her shadow cast itself long against the towers of the Institute. The clouds above fall away from each other, but still commune as sky, and she, pulling on the reins of her balloon, blazes across as Bill stares out. He mistakes her for an early sunset. She comes by the same time every afternoon, before tea. He trajectorizes her path, measures her speed and cuts into the summer sky, and triangulates her location to County Kerry in Ireland. His machine will not take him there, not across the sea, it isn't waterproof yet. He waits, spidering down onto a parapet of the guard tower, the limbs of his flying machine wrapped around like a daddy long legs. As the hour comes for her to pass, he sets forth into the sky and floats an anticipation. But... For every day he launches into the sky, she doesn't come by, and for every day he frets and wonders why she does, and it's too late to launch back up again. He feels like the coil to her magnet. Through his telescope, he studies the curve of her nose, and the triumvirate of freckles on her left cheek, and the milky white of her collarbone, peering on as if no one had ever set eyes on her before. He makes amendments to the flying machine and stuffs it into a tower cannon, readying to net over her and deliver himself to her balloon basket. And so it happens. On exactly the hour, at the set time of his calculation, on the terms of his angle and projected force mediated by uh, gunpowder and weight, he rockets up and bundles into her basket and props up against her. He inhales the pollen in her hair, catches the cool of her glance in his teeth. He simply must say something. But she goes first. What the hell do you want? Bill boils over and blushes, but stands tall, as tall as he can in the shaky, wavery platform of the sky. It's taken me 2,476 equations to get this far. I therefore have the right to speak to you, he says. That sounds like a lot more hot air than in my balloon. Go on, then. But, before anything more blurts out of Bill's beak, she shoves him off. He cascades back down towards the terra firma of the Institute swaddled in the long, riveted legs of his flying contraption, and the cocoon of metal breaks the fall, and not his back. The professoria of the Institute beg Bill to drop this pursuit, for it will end in nowhere but confusion, and such a state is intolerable at the Institute of Mechanical Affairs in which every cog is counted for. The towers were built not in the old fashion, with bricks ascending as if they were trying to outclimb each other, but in the periodic harmony of hard science, of perfect covalency and hydrogenation.
and Bill, they say, is no less than an ubermensch beneath whom all others exist and fret over life's silly things. But not everything can be so easily forgotten. She sports everything, says Bill, retiring to his chamber on Block Z for his zirconium. The clouds are folded away into the closet of night, but he is frozen, bolts upright in bed, calculating curves and trajectories and how the echo of a note twanging across the Irish Sea may triangulate the moment of her departure and re-emergence to within the nanosecond. He gnashes his teeth, imagining her floating by like a scent or a force or a cloud, unaware of herself, unsullied by the burden of calculation. And he stops himself before he deliberates on the cosine and tangent of the down of her back and the Bayesian inference of her wind-scuttled hair. He replaces the Institute flagpole with his antenna triangulator and places another on a boat tied to the coast at Mairn, the locals knowing better than to ask questions, even though his name is so ordinary. And he waits. He doesn't eat or sleep or change position after his legs go numb. Then, ten minutes later than he expects, about 134 standard deviations of error beyond all statistical measure, she trails across the now autumn sky, silhouetting against the cherry sunset, reins wrapped round her arms as if they were extensions of her body. But even for this, he's ready, rearing backwards onto the springlock mechanism of his long-legged flying contraption, launching briskly from the topmost tower of the Institute, and, as a curve like spit aiming for a spittoon, collides with her basket, tumbling headfirst into it, breathing so quickly his fingers tingle and his mouth numbs up. But he hadn't calculated how she'd be the one to fall this time. Her arms are unsheathed, from the tight wrap of her balloon's reins, and on the backwards rock of a basket, head thrown back, she tumbles out without a word. She drops faster than he'd done. Although that isn't possible, but it is, cascading in the fire of her hair, blazing a comet trail to the earth below, no contraption to cushion her. There is meant to be a sound, but he hears nothing, and this, more than anything else, confuses him. Leaning over the basket edge, he peers out over the mountain view, feeling less a part of it than she did, waiting hours for the balloon to lose life and creep its way down towards the Institute courtyard. And so the clouds fall away from sky. The girl who'd set herself to fly had flown her last try, and Bill is left behind as Bill, a Bill, by any other name, would have no less electrified the brain, no more ordinary, no less extraordinary but turned insane.